Welcome back to True Crime Trine, where the planets align and three friends are going to discuss true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can fit into this podcast. I'm Hannah, joined by Sarah and Meredith. Welcome to our second episode. super excited to do this first case. I've decided to bring a couple hometown murders to the podcast. I am from Fresno, California, so I have a lot of hometown murders, but I have three in particular that happened while I was in high school that were probably the genesis of what got me into true crime. And so I want to kind of start with these. And one of the reasons why I know about these at all is that my English teacher's husband worked for the Fresno County Defender's Office when I was in high school. And so it would come up every once in a while in class that blah, 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 this case is happening, blah, 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 this case is happening. And I was like, I need to know more about this than just the blah, blah, blah. So the three cases that I will present, I'm only doing one today but I have three prepared, are all ones that my English teacher's husband was the defender for. And I'm going to reiterate that a lot, that my English teacher's husband was the person that defended these people. So we're going to go back to high school Hannah. High school Hannah was a different disaster than current Hannah. But, you know. Current Hannah is not a disaster. Current Hannah actually might be getting her shit together. Finally. I'm in, the, I'm in English class I hear these little tidbits. I'm very interested. But to prove that memory is fallible, eyewitness accounts are not to be trusted. I've already fucked up because my English teacher's husband was not the defender of this woman. Was he the prosecutor? No. He does come in later. He will defend somebody else, but I really thought he was Larissa Schuster's lawyer, and he definitely is not. Was he in the same law office? I'm not sure about that, but he will come up to be the defender of an accomplice. Ooh, okay. But... Were they drinking buddies? Ooh. Like, maybe they were talking shop, and that's where he got all the skinny? I don't know. No, probably not, actually, because uh, the two people in this story completely turned on each other for the the actual trial, so they kind of tried to eat each other alive, so they probably didn't talk. (laughs) So... To start this off, I learned a lot more than I knew when I was in high school, so this might be the case that first got me interested in true crime, and in a whisper, this might be the case that also got me interested in science, but we don't need to look too deep into that, boy. So Larissa Foreman was born on January 1st, 1960, thus she's a Capricorn, like me. You still keep that in mind. She grew up on a farm in Missouri and then attended the University of Missouri and earned a biochemistry degree. I also earned a biochemistry degree. Already there's a lot of similarities and it makes me nervous. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, right? I'm just like, ugh. I need to get that button for a sound dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, She met her future husband, Timothy Schuster, while working at a nursing home not entirely sure why she was there but she was and so she met timothy there timothy was a nursing student and timothy and larissa got married in 1982 when larissa was 22 which is about the age i was when i got married 
to a nursing student. Fuck me. Like, I'm not Larissa Schuster. Let's, Are you sure? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we will um, figure that out later. So they had a daughter, Kristen, in 1985, followed by a son, Tyler, in 1990. And they moved west out of Missouri to Fresno, California, my hometown, in 1989 and settled there. And Larissa, with her biochemistry degree, got a job at an agricultural research lab, which I doubt my mom was listening to this, but my parents would always ask if I was going to move back to Fresno, and I'd always be like, there are no jobs there! And I guess I'm full of shit, but like, still not moving back to Fresno. So Larissa was killing it, and she opened her own research facility in 1998, and I think just with a bachelor's degree in science... So I feel like I'm wasting my time right now. I did check the Central California Research Labs is no longer open. And they, but what, when they were, they did, they did a lot of biochemical analysis for agriculture companies, which makes sense as the Central Valley of California is a big ag place. Uh, she became a big baller. The family moved to a larger home in Clovis, which is the town next to Fresno, but they've basically merged into one big amalgamation. And by 2001, she was earning twice Tim's annual salary. Was he still a nursing student? He was a nurse at this point. Okay. All right. So in 2002, I was a sophomore, Larissa filed for divorce, which was very acrimonious, particularly over who would get custody of their son, who was still a minor at the time, and who would remain involved in the company. So... When the company was formed, it was formed in the way that Timothy owned 49% of the company, while Larissa owned 51% of the company. Oof. Yes. Did they also have a board, or just it was just the two of them? I can't tell. Like, okay. they've been closed too long. Larissa did not feel that he uh, was entitled to any of the company, because she was the one that did all the work, made the company, did all the research, and whatnot. Heck Yeah. I know. Did, you, did they have a prenuptial? No, because, like, they got married before, you know, before she even had her own company. So. Right. Ladies, keep that in mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my prenup says, if I have a company, <laughs> which I probably won't because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> it's mine. Uh, There's that Capricorn energy. <laughs> no, this is serious Capricorn energy. And Larissa's a Capricorn. Mm-hmm. And I actually 100% am on her side with this one because she is the one that made the company work there, did all the work, and her husband was a nurse at a hospital somewhere else. Uh, so after the divorce was initiated, Timothy moved out of the home that they owned together. And for some reason, that also made Larissa mad. So I'm beginning to suspect Larissa was not a person who was very easy to get along with because... Of course he would move out. What else would you do in this situation? You would not stay. No, I can't imagine that. Well, like, how big was the house, though? It was pretty big. You live on the East Wing, and I'll live in the West Wing. They lived in Clovis, probably in one of the bougie neighborhoods. So, like, one of those okay. big, like, pre- Halfway to a castle. Yeah, yeah like, those prefab kind of um subdivisions that are be- being built up with those big houses that are- Mc- McMansion big, Yeah, that are just too big, to be honest. Yeah. So, Larissa's kind of hard to get along with. She also has a very big mouth. 
Uh, she once told a neighbor that she sometimes thought that she should just kill Timothy and be done with it. And I think this might be one reason why I never talk to my own neighbors, because I don't want to hear any of this bullshit. <laughs> Please do not bring me... You don't want to have to show up in court to, you know, be a witness or anything. Yeah, do not bring me into this. She twice asked a barbecue repairman, so a man he she just met that was repairing the barbecue, she twice asked him if he would help her enter Timothy's residence and take some of her things back, which is a hell of a thing. Is the barbecue being repaired twice, or is she encountering the same man twice? I think the barbecue was actually repaired twice. <laughs> That's so funny. It's still, was it her barbecue? It's her barbecue. But still, like, this is a a random dude that comes to, like, fix the fucking sink, and she's like, you want to break into my ex-husband's house with me? Oh my goodness. No. You, Decisions. You don't. She also told her manicurist that she prayed every night that Timothy would die. Your manicurist, I think, actually hears quite a lot if you're not paying attention. She's like, your your cuticles are terrible, but what? She's just like, I'm gonna just look at this nail real close, just, I can't be a part oh of gosh. this. I'm just going to keep filing oh, this down. Shit. I do feel like your hairdresser and maybe your nail salon person would be, I don't know, they're probably the people who receive the most gossip. Well, yeah, and the, the manicurist actually comes back as like a, a source for the police. So she's heard it. Uh, so, you know, once I can go out again and I can get a pedicure, I'll keep my mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> they have a way. They have a way to make you start talking. Uh, all right. She also asked a coworker. So consider this that she's the boss. So she asked one of her underlings if they her employees. Yes. If they if their boyfriend knew anybody who could rough up somebody, and also told the same coworker that she could kill Timothy and get away with it. Did she specify like how? No, just, I could kill him and get away with him. I'm smart. Like, that. Not that smart, because she's telling way too many people if she's actually going to follow <laughs> exactly. through with Exactly. If you tell someone that you can kill someone and get away with it, you're not going to get away with it, you dumb shit. <laughs> she also left vulgar and intimidating messages on Timothy's phone. And so for an example, she said, you rotten F word, which is a slur for the gay community. I'm going to pass on saying that, boy. Um, Yeah, for sure. That is what you are. You are such a wimp. You have no spine. I hope to God you burn in hell one of these days. And you will. Which is a lot. (laughs) That's, that's, yeah, that's much. (laughs) And then in response to Timothy taking some mixing bowls that she considered were her mixing bowls, she left the following message. Just you wait. It's coming, sweetheart. She had a lot of feelings. That's over, very ominous. Bowls. To be fair, though, um, I'm very passionate about some of my kitchen utensils. <gasps> okay, that it. is actually fair. Uh, oh, same. But mine are like, the ones that I'm passionate about are irreplaceable heirlooms, not like uh, no, a Pyrex bowl. I like my all clad. <laughs> you can't take that away from me. No, those are just downright expensive. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, she owns 51% of her company. She, she can, can buy she can another bowl. mixing bowls. <laughs> Some have sentimental value, though. Yeah. I literally have a ceramic bowl with lid that is 35 years old. That's, that's awesome. That's definitely sent- – I had a, a friend break one of my 
mom's Pyrex bowls from the 70s. And I was like, mm-hmm. I know it was an accident. I know you're sorry. Oh, yeah. That's like, awful. Ugh. I need space to process I'll this process loss. it. I just can't look at you right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So maybe we do understand Larissa and her mixing bowls. Okay. I wasn't I get it. sure if we would. Okay. So on August 10th, 2002, Timothy returned home from a trip to find that his home had been broken into and that items had been stolen, particularly things that pertain to his involvement uh, with his son's life. You can want to guess who the burglar was? Oh, gee. I'm going to say it was the barbecue dude. Ah, yeah. He finally gave in. He's like, yeah, fuck yeah. I love breaking into things. <laughs> like, did they say, like, what, like, was it, like, hit the toys or clothes of her son? It didn't son? exactly say, like, what it was, but it did say that, quote, pertained to his involvement in his son's life. So she was taking things away from him so that he wouldn't have it for the court case, I think, for custody. Okay. I just, I've heard a lot about parents when they divorce, they get super petty over oh, this bitch did. the most, yeah, the most minuscule thing. I mean, down to like socks and underwear they're fighting about. So, I mean, she was fighting about a mixing bowl, which we decided was okay, <laughs> but like, <laughs> it wasn't contingent on the mixing bowl. Yeah. For sure. if, it was yeah. A, if it was a Pyrex from Target, bitch, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Timothy was obviously not okay with any of this and moved to a different home in Clovis that was equipped with an alarm system and motion sensors and also obtained a handgun and a concealed weapons permit, which, yeah, yeah, do that, my dude. This is the wimpy dude. We don't have to he call him. straight up, like, we don't have to call armed him himself. Wimpy, okay? He's the victim. <laughs> she did, but he seems to actually have a spine. He's taking action here. Yeah, he did move. And he got a gun. I don't got a gun. I just got a steak knife. He's going to these drastic measures. And, like, did it say how far away he moved? No, he just moved to a different home in Clovis, which it's not that big of a town. So it's not like he moved, you know, three hours away. He probably moved ten minutes away from his old house. Okay. Who was, who was the son staying with? Wow, or were they, were, they still sharing custody? Um, they were custody? sharing custody at the time. Okay. And so that he was kind of going back and forth. Uh, so on April 30th, 2003, a new year, a blue 55-gallon barrel was purchased and sent to the Central California Research Labs, which I'm going to call the CCRL from now on. Although this blue barrel was not the type of barrel the lab normally used for waste. Uh, Larissa said it was for yarn clippings and took it home with her, though I would just get your fucking uh, green waste container, mm, my dude. No. That's super fishy. Also, why are you sending your company to buy this? You don't send it to the lab. No. Yeah. And before she left with it, she made a really funny joke about how a, a body could fit in the container. Ha ha ha. Of course she did. It sounds like she's hoping that everyone's not going to take her seriously. I mean. Because she's saying it too much now. Like, way too much. I think it's just one of those times when, like, the perpetrator just thinks they're way too smart. <laughs> but obviously they're definitely not. This is like my cat thinks he's smart when he <laughs> does something silly. Kind of level of smart, though. Yeah, it's uh, it's not smart. I'll say that much. Oh, boy. 
Uh, between July, I'm sorry, June 13th and July 2nd, the CCRL purchased 18 2.5 liter bottles of hydrochloric acid and six 2.5 liter bottles of sulfuric acid. And according to CCRL employees, no more than one bottle of hydrochloric acid would be used in an entire year. Yeah, that's a lot. We knew what those are for. Around the same time, Larissa also asked an employee to rent a storage unit for her at the security public storage under the employee's name so that Larissa could store some stuff that she wanted to keep hidden from Timothy. Podcasters can't see my quote-unquotes, but... Uh, Oh, oh, her yard clippings. Yeah. Oh. She's going to store her yard clippings. She wants to hide those from Timothy, for sure. <laughs> so around July 9th, 2003, Timothy lost his job at St. Agnes Hospital, which I have been to, which made Larissa laugh, like, super fucking hard, because she's... We're getting what she is. She's not very nice. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Did it say why he lost his job? No, but it it sounds like it was kind of just like a big layoff that happened at one time. So it might have What what year was this? Two thousand and three. So we're gonna stay okay. in two thousand and three now for a while. On the next day, July tenth, he had plans to go to breakfast with another one of his coworkers that had been laid off. But he never showed up to brunch or lunch. I just went bougie white girl and said brunch. It was definitely lunch. And he never showed up to his exit interview that at St. Agnes that was scheduled for later in the day. And so his co-worker alerted the police and explained that Timothy was going through a bad divorce and that they were concerned he might have hurt himself. That he hurt himself? Yeah. Or that, like, you know, all the news around town is that she's... Something happened. ...kind of psycho. Yeah. Okay. Enough to actually, like, get a missing person report filed. Did they do it immediately? Yeah, actually. All right. The Fresno PD props. They seem to be on top of this. That's good, because oftentimes you hear, like, they're like, nah, he'll be fine. He's an adult. He's probably in his 50s. He's a 50s male, like, whatever. Call back in, like, a week if he hasn't turned up in Vegas. <laughs> no, so they actually jumped right on this. Good job. I know. They have enough to do. That's surprising. Okay. okay, and I don't know how this happened, but somehow the detective got in contact with Larissa's manicurist. And <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe it was, like, his... They're, they're manicurists. Well, it actually, the salon where she worked was actually the place where they exchanged custody of their children. Okay. And so... I can just imagine the officer's wife sitting in bed saying, like, you know who knows a lot about everyone's private lives? <laughs> and giving him the pointer. And he's like, that's a good idea. Yes, why well, you need a woman, woman's perspective. Or any outside any perspective. Any outside perspective yeah. to what you know. Like, it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So... The salon is where they normally exchange custody of their son, but Timothy failed to show up on July 10th to pick up his son. And then this manicure has also had some information about the earlier burglary and said that someone named James may have been involved. Not to trigger Sarah. Oh, no trigger here. Is James the barbecue fixer? <laughs> no, James is someone else. Oh my goodness. The story spirals. Larissa was obviously a prime suspect because the spouse, ex-spouse, whatever, always is. So she had an initial interview with the police on July 11th, the next day, but she wasn't charged. And then, despite her husband, well, her husband being missing, also her son's father being missing, Larissa went forward with a planned trip with her son to Disney World in Missouri. 
Yes, why the fuck not? Disney World in Missouri? And Missouri. Oh, and Missouri. Sorry. <laughs> so I don't know which, I, I guess that's, I don't know. Both places. But she's like, I'm going okay. to take it on a trip. It's fine. So the, the idea is, huh, cool, my husband's missing. I'm going to abscond with my child, take him away from the situation. Hopefully this won't look suspicious at all. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. This That's is... not suspicious. <laughs> I know. And I'm just like, girl, what are you doing? So while she was gone, Timothy's house was searched. And so a palm pilot was found because this was 2003 and we had palm pilots. <laughs> And blackberries. <laughs> and blackberries. Yeah. And whatever. And so following the manicurist's suggestion, they searched for James in this palm pilot, and they came up with one entry, James Fagone, who was a 21-year-old former employee of Larissa's. So the police brought James in and interviewed him on July 14th. And he did break fairly quickly and admitted to being involved in the original break-in. So y'all were wrong. It wasn't just Larissa. Ooh. It was also James. But I was, you weren't going to get that. Okay. <laughs> so the deal was that if James would help Larissa break, um, get some of her stuff from Timothy's place, then James could take a couple things for himself. What a fucking deal. What'd he take? Nothing. Because he got- Little kid toys? No, he got nervous and he took nothing, <laughs> actually. Oh, okay. Um, was there any other benefit to him? Like, did he get extra paid time off at work? PTO? No. <laughs> that wasn't in the... It, that didn't come up. <laughs> okay. Uh, Were they in a relationship at all? Or? That'll come up later. Okay. No? But uh, who knows? So later that evening, July 14th, after they talked with James, there were search warrants that were executed for Larissa's home, the CCRL laboratory, and the unit at the Security Pacific Storage. And so there was obviously suspicious stuff found at Larissa's home and at the CCRL, but the clincher was found at Security Pacific Storage. I forgot who guessed this. Yard clippings. Whoever guessed yard <laughs> clippings is on the right track. So, even before opening the door to the storage unit, there was a strong, foul odor emanating from the unit. And as soon as the doors opened, it became extremely strong. And these were ex experienced homicide detectives. So they were like, this is dead body smell. I know what this smell is. Like, I've smelled it before. A blue barrel... What? A blue barrel was inside, hmm. and they opened it, and they found the lower half of a human body floating inside the barrel in fluid that was later found to contain hydrochloric acid, decomposed body fat, chunks of meat, and blackish-brown material. Uh, both ankles had fractures caused by a sharp cutting instrument. But oh. this was just the lower half. You know, I never figured out where the upper half was. Was it... What had dissolved into the body oils? I don't and think stuff, it would. Or? I don't think it. I feel like the top and the bottom would dissolve kind of at the same rate. Unless she put one in first, and then the acid had eaten away that one, and then she put the other half in, and the acid had already gone through its activity a lot, and that's why the uh, the bottom half hasn't dissolved as much. I don't know. I'm also don't know what she did with the sulfuric acid. She just used hydrochloric acid. That was for a different gardening project. Oh, yes, yeah, it was like <laughs> gophers or something. <laughs> Um, little varmints. Poor gophers. Yeah, I actually did look and like, it's a little unclear about what happened to the entire body. 
100% a lower body was in the blue barrel. Whether the upper body was there as well, I'm not actually sure. Um, I mean, was it like split in half? It didn't say. Or... Okay. There's... That's that's a crucial detail. I know. The detail. details that I want and like are not there. And this is a fucking... This is from like a court transcript and the details weren't fucking there. So... I mean, but there's like data how long it would take to dissolve certain, you know, whatever mass of, of body. So right. I feel like we could extrapolate the strength of the acid and how long it was supposedly taken to dissolve. And if it took longer, then maybe that had something to do with the acid already having worked on the upper half. I don't know. Yeah. Hypotheses. Hypotheses for sure. <laughs> they didn't follow up on the hypotheses. I definitely was like, where's the upper half? And I... Yeah. <laughs> it's an important question. Uh, DNA testing confirmed that the body was Timothy's and was in, in an early state of decomposition with the time of death estimated to be between July 9th through 11th. So I guess they did take into account the hydrochloric acid as well when they were doing the time of death. Because they, they fucking nailed it. Uh, this was actually July, so the time of death estimated was July 9th through 11th. And I'll just tell you, this happened between July 9th at night into July 10th in the morning. So they, they fucking nailed it. Wow. Uh, the cause of death was declared to be the probable com- combined effects of acute chloroform exposure and hydrochloric acid immersion. Although it was very possible that death resulted only from the chloroform. And it could not be determined whether Timothy was alive when he was placed in the barrel. I would really hope not. That sounds like a, oh my gosh, an excruciating way to go. Well, considering it was only half of him. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. The top half here actually is very confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, I get that they can get the chemical makeup and stuff through blood work and to see what the levels are, but like, I mean, can they even really determine the cause of death if they only have half a body? That's why I feel like, I don't, hmm. Maybe his pants were made of, what is it, polypropylene that doesn't get dissolved? Maybe there's like some, plastic or like some pants? sort of plastic <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe there's some sort of... I mean, because, like, certain pants have different <laughs> materials woven into them for, like, durability and stuff. Maybe the pants inhibited some of the acid from dissolving. I don't I don't know. So it slowed it down, maybe. Yeah, because, like, the bones <laughs> remain... The lower bones of his legs remained long enough to see that there were fractures and that they were cut. So... All right. So Larissa, now dubbed the Acid Lady by the media was arrested on July 16th, so about six days after the murder, actually, and James Fagone was arrested shortly after. And as I said earlier, of course, they instantly turned on each other. So I'm going to go over Larissa's trial first. So step one for Larissa was to malign the dead, and a forensic psychiatrist testified that Larissa had battered spouse syndrome and had been, quote, traumatized to an enormous degree, end quote, through emotional abuse from Timothy. Knowing Larissa? Not like I know Larissa, but... Yeah, no, he was spineless, so what... No, I don't think this happened even a little bit. She was the abusive one. It seems like she was really aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone was abusive, it was probably Larissa. Larissa also testified that Timothy attempted to use the child custody order against her which led Larissa to experience physical symptoms from the stress, which is not a murder defense because I'm stressed all the fucking time. Murdered no fucking people. Right? Right? Like, come on, bitch. (laughs) 
get your shit together. She's not as smart as she thought she was. She's not a very good Capricorn, I'll say, as a Capricorn. So in 2002, which is about a year before the murder, uh, James went to work for Larissa at the CCR... L laboratories. James later became her son's babysitter as well. And so on the stand, Larissa admitted to venting to James about her divorce and her feelings about Timothy. She vented to fucking everyone. Yeah, all around town. <laughs> everyone got this vent. It's fine. Uh, but she maintained that she never asked James to kill Timothy. However, James's friends testified to numerous times when James brought up chloroforming or tasering Timothy, which was a fucking thing to bring up to your friends if i bring that up to you guys just turn me in okay <laughs> it sounds like it wouldn't be that far off of our like fun discussions of how would you do this or <laughs> not that we're no, ever do but it. i don't think we would say an actual name it wouldn't be like so sarah i think i'm gonna get some chloroform and then we're gonna go visit hannah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's more of a what if what what would happen yeah so, the facts of the murder, as Larissa told it at the time, was that she was super focused on this trip that her and her son were going to go on to Disney World in Missouri. But she was super afraid that Timothy was going to do something at the last minute to jeopardize the trip, which was confirmed in her mind when she was brought in for questioning on July 11th. Uh, so, James had been babysitting her <laughs> son during her police interview. And when Larissa came home, she said that she was extremely upset about the trip possibly being canceled, which, girl, girl, <laughs> there are other things to worry about now. Priorities. And she also vented about Timothy to James. And then James said something, like almost as an aside, and he said that there had been an accident. Timothy was dead. Quote, they had killed him and his body was currently in her shed presence who's they i don't know it's uh it's larissa's testimony like him and his buddies i guess that so they were getting chloroform with yeah they were having the fun convos larissa said she became hysterical and was unable to think logically and she told james that, she, that he had to move the body out of her shed immediately not to call the nope, police nope, nope 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 and so the next day james told her this is remember this is all larissa's testimony at the trial so the next day, James told her that he moved the body to the warehouse in the lab. And Larissa was like, that's the stupidest fucking place to put it. Put it in a dumber place. Bring it to my fucking storage unit. Because that's fine. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so at this point, Larissa did say she considered calling the police. Uh, considered it. But she was worried that she wouldn't be able to go on the trip with her son. Oh, I see. Wow. So, like, her husband's dead body was really... yeah. That was really inconvenient. And this fucking trip to Missouri was like a trip to fucking Paris. Have you guys <laughs> been to Missouri? No. I mean, is it really that great? No. I think that's the one state I haven't been to. It doesn't sound that great. Yeah, I've never been. <laughs> um. Okay, and even though she now quote unquote knew that James was a murderer, she still let him take her son on a picnic the following day, which... I'm not a parent, but great parenting. I am, and that just would not happen. right? Like, I feel like, (laughs) what the fuck? Uh, So James never testified in Larissa's trial, but Larissa did take the stand in her own defense, which is kind of an interesting choice um, for the defendant to take the, the stand. But Larissa maintained that she never, ever 
ever spoke with James about killing her husband and that she was completely blindsided to learn that Timothy was dead and that the only thing that she was guilty of was not notifying the police immediately. So what kind of charge would that be? I mean, if that was even accurate. I'm going to get back to the disclaimer. I'm not a legal scholar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it probably would be like obstruction of justice, I would think, or something like that. Okay. The jury did not bite, and Larissa was found guilty of first-degree murder with the special circumstance of financial gain. And so at a sentencing hearing in 2008, her daughter gave a victim impact statement after not having any contact with her mother after the murder. And her daughter said, You've given up all rights as a mother, wife, daughter, friend, and woman. You're a disgrace to this family. A pitiful excuse for a human. I pray you're continually haunted at night by the sight and sound of my father fighting for his last breathing moments on this earth. I hope you toss and turn and have horrible nightmares visualizing the horrific act of violence you have committed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah, it's I'm on the daughter's side. She she okay. was um older than eighteen when the divorce was initiated in two thousand and two. Okay. And one of the police officers involved in the case also commented on the verdict, saying that the only reason Larissa didn't get the death penalty was because the devil wasn't ready for her in hell. Which, uh, yeah, I just thought that was hilarious. Truth, though. We gotta prepare for this one, <laughs> No, guys. like, this was a real bad one. We gotta find a place. Wow. Uh, so if her daughter had had her way, Larissa would have been sentenced to death. But that was not an option, given the charges, for some reason. I don't know how the legal system works. Uh, so Larissa was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, where she currently sits in a cell at the Central California Women's Facility, and all her appeals have been declined. Okay, we're finally getting to my English teacher's husband. Did you forget about him? Almost. No, I was trying to say it a lot at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the main defense attorney for James Fagone. And that's how he was involved in this case. I really want to hear James' side of the story. I honestly believe yeah. James' side a lot more than I believe Larissa's, but that's just me speaking as a nobody. Don't sue me. Uh, the defense painted Larissa as extremely manipulative and a controlling sociopath who had trapped James by threatening to kill his family if he did not help her. Uh, he admitted to accompanying Larissa on the first burglary because she, quote, seemed resolute unquote and he was quote along for the ride unquote again i'm a little curious as to like how their relationship developed though because he worked for her at the company but he also was their babysitter or nanny yeah so he did eventually quit his job at the laboratory but he remained in contact with larissa and was the babysitter and so james himself denied any romantic relationship with larissa but said that he felt like a big brother uh to her son i'm uh, 50 50 on that one <laughs> so larissa began to bring up burglarizing timothy's home a second time and even gained james two thousand dollars to look into it and buy some supplies james did not spend the money on any of that but as soon as he took the money, Larissa became even more forceful, and he eventually tried to recruit some of his friends, I guess, which is the conversation about chloroforming Timothy early on, which, okay, <laughs> questions about his friends. That did fail, so I guess his friends are in the clear. Uh, so Jane's body stun gun, a zip ties, and chloroform. Okay. Wow. 
So then Larissa called him in the middle of the night on July 9th, 2003, and she said she wanted to check things out at Timothy's. So James collected all the things he had just bought and joined her in her truck, quote, because he was scared to go out there without them because he was afraid of her, end quote. He also wanted to believe that nothing was going to happen because she had said that she was just going to check things out. Why go if he's afraid of her? Why would he even go in the middle of the night with her? He did say that she threatened his family at this point. Mm -hmm. It feels like she had more on him somehow. That's why it feels like more than just a babysitting relationship to me as well. Yeah. Because, like, uh, let's think of Game of Thrones Episode 1, The Things You Do for Love. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. All right, well, that's not really a spoiler, <laughs> but anyone who has knows what I'm talking about. But it's just like, yep. you know, whatever. So they got to Timothy's house. In order to get Timothy to open the door, Larissa said that their son was sick. And so as soon as Timothy opened the door... James attempted to taser him, although the stun gun ended up not working. Uh, Timothy fell to the floor after backing into a chair, and James immediately put him into a headlock until Timothy passed out, although James said that he, quote, had no idea why he did that, end quote. Those are my intonations, but what the fuck, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Once uh, passed out, Larissa chloroformed Timothy. Then zip tied his wrists and ankles before wrapping plastic around Timothy's head. At this point, James said that he was, quote, completely scared stiff, end quote, and did not try to stop her because he was, quote, scared to death of her, end quote. I thought chloroform was used to knock people out. Yeah. He's already knocked out. Why is she chloroforming? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I think the plastic over his head was the main part here about the suffocation. Yeah. I, that was the same question I had, was, like, if he was already out, then... Stay down. <laughs> I was going to give James a little leeway here because uh, Larissa was literally killing a guy in front of her, so he could have been scared to death. They transferred Timothy's body to the truck. Timothy... No, I'm sorry. James stealthily took... Tried to find a pulse on Timothy, but Timothy was no longer breathing and had no pulse, according to James. So one would hope he died at this point. Uh, They went to Larissa's house where she asked James to help her put Timothy in the blue barrel that she so conveniently had for yard clippings. There's no premeditation there. (laughs) No. And then, although he said he was extremely upset following the events of the night where you killed somebody, he still Mm -hmm. ended up watching Larissa's son the next day. Because, you know, why not? I'm a a babysitter at heart. To be fair, kids are a lot cooler than adults are i guess it could be a good distraction like a a desperate plea to get back to somewhat right maybe so after larissa's police interview she called james and had him come with her to transfer the barrel to the laboratory where he admitted to helping her pour hydrochloric acid into the barrel but he said he only did that because he was terrified of her and no one else is in the lab to see them like hauling this really heavy Weird barrel I this was at night. and pouring acid in it. Okay. They also had problems putting the lid back on the barrel because of Timothy's feet sticking out. So Larissa sawed his legs until she could snap his ankles. Uh, so uh, go back to the coroner's report. Yuck. And even so, handsaw, power saw. I don't know what she, I was imagining a hacksaw, but okay. <laughs> Imagine whatever saw you would like. And even so, James still had to stand on top of the barrel lid in order to get it to latch. Oh. 
right? Uh, yeah. So a psychiatrist interviewed James and testified that although James initially had a good relationship with Larissa, that changed over time to the point where he felt intimidated, threatened, and fearful to the point where he felt that he could not terminate the relationship or defy her. The psychiatrist also stated during the murder that James experienced a dissociative episode and that since the murder, James developed post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, hell yeah. That's very stressful. <laughs> I think he probably actually probably did dissociate a bit during that murder because that's not what he was expecting. But I mean, he did buy the stuff and like, I don't know. And continue doing all of it. And like, just because you're dissociating, does no. that really, that doesn't excuse you from p- taking part in being an accomplice. Yeah, so Ugh. James had already confessed and he tried to recant it, but the juries were shown his video police interrogation where he says, quote, I held the barrel, put him in, poured all the solution, and she, like, couldn't stand it. So she said, put it on, the lid on. So I held her the lid on, and she put it in the shed, end quote. Which is pretty hard to come back from. So James Fagan was also found guilty of first-degree murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the verdict came back, Pete Jones... James' defense attorney, my English teacher's husband, told the press, quote, The extent of Schuster's manipulation and intimidation was critical to the defense. I'm confident that the jury felt there was some of that, but it apparently didn't rise to the level that was a legal defense, end quote. And he was actually somewhat correct because after the conviction, at least two jurors wrote the judge and said that they they were bothered that the only options that they had under the the law was to issue either a first-degree murder verdict or an acquittal. There's not, like, a secondary or second-degree murder or... This is why I'm going to say not a legal scholar. They'd have to plead down or something. Yeah, so, like, I think think for James, a second degree I wouldn't be too upset about. But, like, that wasn't an option for the jurors. But they knew he did something bad, so they couldn't just acquit him. It's interesting when you hear about cases like, we're charging you with first-degree murder, second-degree murder, third-degree murder. <laughs> I don't know, manslaughter. It depends what the prosecutor, I guess, decides. Yeah, that's that's where like the prosecutor comes in and, and determines what the options are going to be, basically. So they went for first, I guess, which seems almost a little reaching for me, but they did get it, so... Well, there's yeah. that premeditation aspect that even if he was, if he was, you know, not wanting to do it, he still went and purchased things for it. So. And he never called the police. <laughs> yeah. That's like, the part. This bitch yeah. is crazy. Like, you're fearing for your life and your family's life. People around town know that she's saying weird things about so killing people. Many so many people. The police would actually know this. Yeah. Mm. I mean, me, James didn't know that, but like, I. In my heart, I do think Larissa was kind of a sociopath and did manipulate James. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, very. And I don't 100% think he was guilty of first-degree murder, but he's definitely guilty of a degree of murder. Yeah, for sure. He had he had other options before it got that far, I think. Yeah, for sure. And he just kept getting pulled in. Again, it just makes me think that there was something, something right? else in their relationship. There's something There's else going it. on. I'm sorry, like... A guy doesn't do that for a girl unless there's a penis and vagina involved, right? I mean, what would you think? <laughs> P and V? I mean, P and A, I guess, if you want. But, like, <laughs> like it seems like 
they were very intertwined, like more than I would think of just like an employee employer. Yeah. Uh, babysitty. No, babysitter slash employee. Was there anything about his history growing up? Like, did he have mommy issues? No. So the problem here is that I actually didn't expect this to be so long because the Wikipedia article for Larissa Schuster is very short and uh, James doesn't even get his own Wikipedia article. Interesting. (laughs) So there's not very much information about James's past. I ended up finding transcripts of both Larissa and James's appeals, which is where I got most of this information, but I didn't have very much about his past. Okay. There's surprisingly very little media about this, but there is a... I did watch an episode of Deadly Wives, season two, episode one, which was fine. I would have preferred to watch the Snapped episode, because that's the trash I know and I love. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) Uh, But I couldn't get access to it. But if you can, it's season seven, episode one. So that's my true crime story. I think the victim was unfortunate. His children are probably very upset about all of this. But at least the killer and the accomplice did get some sort of justice. And kudos to the Fresno Police Department for being so swift with their... Right? Their investigation. Mm Mm-hmm. And just they're, you know, taking seriously his disappearance. Yeah, especially for, like, a 50-something man. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, he's an adult, whatever. You're a grown-ass yeah. man. You can go do, do what you want. You want but... <laughs> well, especially since everyone around town knew they had a bad <laughs> like, marriage, whether or not they knew knew she was plotting to murder him. But I mean, some people definitely did. <laughs> like, they're probably like, he just left, man. That bitch is crazy. I mean, he should have left that bitch. It's crazy. But, of course, he wanted his son. Yeah, that's very true. There's, like, there's a lot to, like, feel for Timothy in this situation. So, to move on from all of that sadness, let's go to the astrology. All right. I couldn't find James... I'm interested I couldn't find James's birthday. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So, this is focused on Larissa Schuster's information. So, we're going to start with the sun sign. And I guess as we said in the first episode, the sun sign rules your basic personality, your ego, and like the core of who you are as a person. And it's a sign that most people know and used to answer the question, like, what's your sign? That's the sign that people know. <laughs> Is there... Do people still ask that? I do. I also ask, where's I mean... your birth time? And no one talks to me anymore. <laughs> They're like, oh, run away, run <laughs> this away. This uh, Yeah, so, I mean, it's a sign people know, though. Even if they're not that into astrology, they probably know their sun sign. Because you only know your birth date and learn your sun sign. And just quickly, the sun moves through each of the 12 zodiac signs over a year, spends about a month in each sign. So you just you know your birth date. You'll know where the sun is, and you'll know whether you're Capricorn, like Larissa and me, or something else. Maybe, hopefully, something else. So Larissa is a Capricorn, uh, which is an Earth sign. And just in general, describing Earth signs, I would say that they are dependable, reliable, and grounded. They have a lot of endurance, and they prefer to work slowly and methodically to ensure that everything is perfect. They're very responsible. That's kind of like the growth of her business. Like, she put in a lot of work right? and effort into creating that that company. Exactly. And, like, the Capricorn has the methodical patience to do all of that. Mm. And I identify with this as well because I'm still doing my PhD because I want it to be fucking perfect. 
And it won't be. (laughs) Earth signs are concerned with practical things more than that. And I would say of the three Earth signs, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn, Capricorn are the earthiest. So at their best, we would say Capricorns are industrious, disciplined, serious, reliable, and determined. They are precise and orderly with the ability to make long-term plans. Go read my bio. I got some of that shit in there. Not intentionally. (laughs) So like Meredith said, like all of these characteristics are super would be super useful in building your own business. And they're also very useful for a career in science, like just being very methodical and keeping track of everything. And Larissa appeared to be super competent in both of those areas. If nothing else, she was a good scientist slash businesswoman. And she was nothing else. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say that, like, when it talked about the planning and stuff, like, you know, she had the forethought to order that 55-gallon drum well in advance. There's that Super planning. Super well advance. Um, oh, boy. So Capricorns are ambitious and are often motivated by success, money, status, position, or authority, which is the part that I don't really feel as much as a Capricorn, but we can talk about that later. Capricorns <laughs> often come across as aloof and indifferent, but in reality, they just take an extremely long time to open up to other people and are often hiding a dry, witty sense of humor, and are extremely loyal and protective to those they trust. Which I will say yes to that, because it's all positive. Sarah, Meredith, I, have something I got to your add fucking back, about... okay? Go, Sarah. <laughs> so I just, I briefly looked up her um, natal chart just a little bit, and her moon actually is an Aquarius. Oh! An Aquarii. Aquarii. are known for their talkativeness. <laughs> They're known to be very chatty. Okay. Oh! <laughs> I didn't actually include our moon in that, so that's yeah. super... And then, additionally, lunar Aquarians are also susceptible to irrational qualities of emotions like jealousy and okay. possessiveness, and they fear, or, or they're constantly striving to kind of be above others because of that, so... Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You got you nailed it! Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, this is actually a super good example of astrology, like, really matching what was happening. It doesn't always, but when it does, it it's really nails really it. Fun. So, like, at the worst, Capricorns will use people for gain. James Fagone. Yeah. Are obsessed with status. But they're materialistic, prideful, and controlling. Those balls. <laughs> <laughs> they're really good mixing balls. <laughs> I mean, they're uh, antiques. <laughs> In Uh most relationships, they must be the dominant partner because they don't want to feel vulnerable to someone else's power. Stop talking to me. (laughs) I'm working on it. I I just, I'm working on it. The lyricist seems to display many of the qualities of an unevolved Capricorn. And she was able to very easily sniff out the vulnerability and use James for her own purposes. Capricorns also tend to get angry when people get rewards after not having worked nearly as hard as they have, which relates to how Larissa was insistent that Timothy had no right to any part of her company since she was the one that put in the work and built it. Yeah. As a somewhat evolved Capricorn, I identify with Larissa here, but. (laughs) You know, like group projects when you're in school and like I always busted my butt and did a really good job. But then you had that one person that was like, "Meh." you always do. And like the people like us that will bust our butt, they know we will. So they'll they'll use that. I was just going to talk about her son, but I also want to mention her Venus placement which is also the same as mine. 
you know what? Yes. No one I ever date should listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Venus is known as the planet of love, but it also rules over art and beauty, affection, harmony, friendships, and higher emotions. And I'm going to focus on love and romantic relationships. <laughs> Because that's what I do, because I do not understand what's happening. So when Larissa was born, Venus was in Scorpio, which means you bring a lot of intensity to a relationship. Um, it's often all or nothing for those with Venus in Scorpio. They put love on a spiritual level, commit themselves completely to the relationship, and have a strong desire to merge with another person, which can be extremely overwhelming. I know. I've only tried it once. <laughs> And it can also lead to possessiveness and jealousy. I mean, I will say as a Scorpio, I do see this, which is why most of my previous relationships have been very superficial. Because it's it's a lot to get into the other side of it. So if they feel like they've been wronged in love, they do not forgive (laughs) and they do not forget, which I do not. Either one of those things. Yep. Yep. They'll either turn cold as ice and walk away completely. Or continuously monitor their partner to the point that it becomes obsessive. Like breaking into their house. Ooh. Yeah, the, the, Larissa chose the latter. Yeah. For for fucking jerseys. I'm more of a former. Um, that's all. That's what I have for this case. I didn't know when I started this that I was going to have so much in common with Larissa Schuster. <laughs> she gives you a good, here's what not to it's do. It's a good guideline. I mean, yeah. yeah. If anyone I ever date listens to this... I won't put you in a vat of acid. But be suspicious if you see a receipt for a 55-gallon drum. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you it's for yard clippings, but you should probably uh, investigate. Hannah doesn't have yard clippings. (laughs) No, actually, I never do buy... I never garden. (laughs) I uh, let my yard go feral. (laughs) Feral, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's pretty bad, so... I don't know. I thought this was a pretty good start. It was my hometown. I remember yeah, parts of this from when I was younger, like the acid part in the barrel. Sure. You can't forget that part. Yeah, that's a big uh. component and like super interesting too. I mean, I already was like, what if it was this way? Yeah. And yeah. It's, it. your brain just instantly goes to, what in that world? So, and then the, the astrology really lined up, unfortunately, with mine, but like... <laughs> Like, I could, I could really see a lot of Capricorn qualities in her, as well as Scorpio qualities, which I know I've seen in myself, but I'm at least somewhat evolved as a Capricorn, so I'm, I'm better. I'm better, everybody. Yes. Yes. Uh, so that's all I have for this episode. Do you have anything else to add? No, that was interesting. I'm gonna, I do want to do some reading, though, to see if I can find out more information on her relationship with James. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by that now. If, yeah, if you can, that'd be super interesting, because I think they were fucking. Uh, yeah. Right? Or there was yeah. some sort of inappropriateness going on. I don't know. Uh, a big inappropriateness was going on. Maybe even just some sort of, like, dominancy. It could be a mother... Uh, son thing like you said as well like if James had a very domineering mother or something he might have seen Larissa as a mother figure yeah but still like 
you're a young kid, you fill out a job application for this science lab, and then all of a sudden... I'm also a little upset You're helping her that this someone. fucking nobody got a job at a laboratory, and I'm still a PhD student with no job. <laughs> In a laboratory. In a lab- <laughs> I haven't murdered anyone, though, so I guess I can't complain. But then he got promoted to a babysitter, though. Babysitter, which I'm a terrible babysitter. And the hours sound <laughs> awful. I guess uh, in this case, the baby was probably more around like 14, 15. Then why does he need a babysitter? I don't actually know. But he was born in, oh, he was 13 then. He was born in 1990, I, be- I believe I said. And so this was 2003. So he was like 12 or 13. That, has, that brings up a little bit oh, more wow. questions, I guess, for me. Because like then they're having picnics in the park. Were they more like friends? Oh, my God. Oh. <gasps> Because he was only like 18, 19, no. Yeah, he was super young. Um, let, let me scroll. Keep talking. Yeah, but what 19-year-old wants to hang out with a pedophile? A 13-year-old, yeah. though? Oh, God. Oh, I see what you're saying. Whoops. Uh, yeah. Okay, he was Yikes. 21. But you mostly, oh, no. like, because you mostly hear about, it, like, older men, like, hitting on, like, high school girls and stuff. But it, it definitely goes. Both ways that way as well i'm just curious if maybe he didn't have some sort of other attachment to the son and that's why he was willing to put up to with the mom i don't know because the mom i've described myself as insufferable but the mom sounds really insufferable oh she's horrible yeah maybe he just felt bad yeah like maybe it could have been an innocent type relationship as well and not the not the pedophile angle, but... um, And it could have just been that he did feel like a big brother. And he knew, like, this 12, 13-year-old, his parents are probably... They were going through this very contentious divorce. They were probably very focused on the divorce and each other. So the kid might have felt kind of left out. And so he was trying to help him with that or something. And again, it would be interesting to see, like, what his history was like maybe he experienced that himself and he was just trying to be a good dude and be that big like he saw himself in uh the kid yeah that's super interesting though thank you for sharing that oh you're welcome i'm glad you liked it i feel weird saying that but uh yeah it is a little bizarre (laughs) it's a little bizarre but uh yeah i definitely I had this in my mind. I only knew her as the acid lady, and so I had to do Googling to figure out her real name and whatnot and go deeper into this. Well, because high school was a while ago. Fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I just found it really interesting as I was going through it. This was the first murder that I actually did any research on. I was like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's... (laughs) Oh, fuck. That's me. (laughs) So, you know, welcome to True Crime Trine. Dun, dun, dun. So to round out this episode, um, we'd like to talk a little bit about the astrology that might be going on this week. So May 3rd, Mercury actually enters Gemini, and Mercury is the planet of communication and intellect, memory, and travel. And so what this means is that for those of you who are air signs, um, you're going to have a lot of benefits here. So Mercury is the, um, in the air sign of Gemini, it means that you're going to have um, some witty times and you're going to be taking on um, a lot of different projects maybe. You might feel more inquisitive and curious. Um, you're probably going to have things, you know, moving around you and you're gaining more knowledge um, on a lot of different facets of your life. 
you might feel more like a wanderer and you want to know um, more things or be at the forefront of whatever is happening in your life. Um, but you might not be quite into all the depth of like all the different subjects that you're going into because um, you're just going to have so much going on. Um, you're going to be really good at socializing. You might make some new friends. I know it's still um, part of the pandemic, but, you know, it, things We're are starting to open up. So maybe I know. Right. So maybe you're going to make some new friends or have some sort of work success. Um, and you might want to go on some short day trips because uh, Mercury, you remember, is the planet that includes travel. So that might be fun to take with some friends or loved ones if you're all vaccinated and safe to do so. Um, so overall, for air signs, this means that you're going to have success in all these different facets of life. Um, hopefully. And for the other signs, though, this time period might feel kind of stressful, like you're being pulled in a lot of different directions, or you might have too many irons in the fire. Um, so that's something to be mindful of this week. Um, and definitely write in if you have any experiences that kind of match our interpretations, because we would love to hear about it. If you love this episode as much as we did, please rate us, leave a review, and definitely tell your friends. You can reach us on social media, on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast, or you can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And to close it off, in the words of D.H. Lawrence, the Zodiac is well worth flirting with. Unless it's the Zodiac Killer. Boom. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.